When I stood here four years ago, we faced a $1 billion deficit. It's not by accident that today we've got a $1 billion surplus. Welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, an editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. On today's episode, I want to talk about the uh, state of conservatism in Arizona and uh, kind of squaring our governor, Doug Ducey, Republican, who's acting more centrist of of late, and, and, and you've written about that. With the other reality that the the base of the party is uh, becoming more more right wing and uh, moving closer to Trumpism, um, but you've you're a conservative writer, conservative commenter uh, who's been very critical of Ducey of late for not being uh, the conservative reform, reformer that he ran to be in 2014. Uh, you've called him an inbox governor. You've you've referred to him as a political windsurfer, arguing that he's uh, more of a pragmatist and a, and a centrist, which some people might think is a good thing, but if you're interested in conservative report, reform, as you are, uh, it's a point of criticism. But uh, he did get reelected by a wide, mar- uh, wide margin in a tough year for Republicans across the state. The economy has grown, regulations have been scaled back, and we've got a huge budget surplus. So the first question is, how do you square your criticism with Ducey uh, with the results Arizona has seen in terms of fiscal responsibility and his, uh, his wide re-election this past year? What I've written is often interpreted um, as criticism. Um, and in the case of his response to the teacher's strike um, was intended as criticism. Um, but uh, in reality... Uh, He's been a prudent manager of state finances uh, and has sought to improve state programs and policies in an incremental basis. Uh, He's dealt with serious issues as they've arisen, such as the lawsuit over inflation funding. Um, And that sort of pragmatic, problem-solving Good stewardship of the status quo is is good governance, and if we had uh, that universally across the country, that would be great. Uh, but it's a very far cry um, from what Ducey initially ran on in 2014. He said that he would get income tax rates as close to zero as possible. We've made virtually no progress on that. He said that he would move towards backpack funding, um, where the same dollars follow a student, no matter what school the student achieves, to advance the idea of improving education through competition. Uh, Not only has the state not taken steps um, towards that, under Ducey, uh, we've actually gone backwards, uh, because he has proposed a substantial amount of money um, go to schools, not based upon the choices of parents, uh, but how they get graded uh, in a grading system that I don't think truly distinguishes between the schools on uh, the basis of their quality. Um, 
so, uh, and it's also clear that this Ducey is very politically popular. Uh, he won a big election uh, in a Democratic-leaning year. He benefited from having a disaster of an opponent in David Garcia. Uh, but I do believe that um, the resounding victory has to be regarded in part as an endorsement um, by the electorate of his sort of steady hand um, on the wheel of state. Um, so I, I think he's been politically successful. I think that he has stabilized um, state government. Um, we've had more of a quiet period of politics. It's just not a transformative conservative reform agenda, which was uh, something I think the state needs and can benefit from, and on which Ducey ran in 2014. Yes, you play mind reader here but uh, maybe there's some evidence that we can glean to, to answer this question. But you think this represents an evolution in, in Ducey's approach? Has, uh, <clears throat> you know, is it, is it a matter of, you know, was he more authentic to what he actually believed back then or now? You know, is it a, maybe he was thinking that he's a conservative reformer, but then gets in office and sees the reality and, 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 um, has a has a changed mindset. He referenced that in the state of the state, how, you know, as a business person, you know, you take, you know, you get in charge and then you take bits and pieces and you learn as, as you go along. Um, is that the most, is that the fairest uh, interpretation of, of what's happened? Or is it a matter of uh, him taking the path of political least resistance, uh, maybe back, maybe back in 2014, that was the political path to get elected and then kind of reading uh, maybe how this, how the states changed, maybe how, um, you know, that with the example of responding to the teachers thing, uh, <clears throat> moving with the wind and, and, and taking the path of least resistance. What, I, what, which do you see? I think it's a combination, right? I think Ducey probably still, believes in those things on which he ran in 2014. Um, but uh, at least initially, state finances needed to be fixed. Uh, that needed to take priority. Um, and uh, we have passed that point. So I do believe that he is instinctively a very cautious manager. Um, and so he has not seen the political opportunity. Uh, to push for those big reforms. Um, and I do think it's in part political calculation. Um, he, uh, he, is, he seems to be very politically risk adverse. Uh, and big reforms are controversial. Um, they, they create uh, strong feelings on both sides. Um, so I think I, I do believe he still believes those things. But I believe that the larger internal driver is this cautious custodian, good manager of the status quo, along with a high aversion to taking political risk. And is that a better path for conservatives or, or the Republican Party to take? I'm just thinking of other governors in, in different states, like a, a John Kasich in Ohio has been more, I think, that same kind of centrism 
uh, not so, so hardline. Uh, Larry Hogan, governor of Maryland, who's been rumored of perhaps challenging Trump in the in the 2020 primary, uh, is also seen as as more definitely a Republican, but more of a pragmatic, more of a more of a centrist. Um, whereas you know you get to a guy like Scott Walker, who was held up as being, you know, this conservative reformer that stood up to the you know the the unions and. Um, and he just got annihilated in 2016, the presidential primary, and then lost his re-election bid in, in 2018. Is this, is Ducey's type of conservatism that he's practicing, is that a better path forward, like in general, for the Republican Party? In terms of winning elections, uh, it probably uh, may be a superior formula. Um, but in terms of advancing conservative ideas, um, it doesn't move the needle much. And so the question is, why are you in politics and what do you want to accomplish in politics? And we've had examples of um, politicians who took risks to advance conservative ideas, beginning with Ronald Reagan. I mean, nobody was talking about a 25% across the board tax cut um, for the country. There was no big constituency for that. Jack mm -hmm. Kemp was running around the country um, advocating it, but until Ronald Reagan picked it up, ran on it in 1980, uh, it just wasn't on the public policy screen. Um, the former governor of Indiana did uh, an awful lot to Mitch Daniels to, to solve a budget deficit, uh, making tough choices, which Ducey mostly avoided. He made some in the first year, but mostly he held the line until revenues picked up, and instituted conservative reforms. Uh, Jeb Bush in Florida instituted a lot of conservative reforms and was highly popular. So um, it's certainly the safer route. I think it's a route that comes more naturally to uh, Ducey. Um, but it gets down into what you want to accomplish. It's not the way that you advance conservative policy objectives. So if you believe that those are right for a state, um, you got to take political risks to try to try to bring them about. Is there uh, and one of one of the biggest things? And maybe you can correct this if it's if you see a different way. But as what seems like one of the biggest conservative. Uh, reforms might be cutting back regulations. Uh, he talked about, you know, cutting red tape, reducing the amount of regulations for business. Um, has that been one of the reasons why we've seen an economic uh, expansion here in, in Arizona? Does he deserve credit for the conservative steps he's taken for the way the economy has gone? Or, or do you see that as just a, you know, the recovery that we've all been on? What, what does that do? There's, there's no question that under Ducey, um, Arizona has both the reputation and the reality of being business friendly. And the governor's um, regulatory reforms, um, creating moratorium, moratoriums on new regulations, uh, rolling back some old ones, trying to streamline the approval processes that businesses face has contributed to um, Arizona 
regaining its status uh, as one of the fastest growing states in the country, both in terms of population and economics. But it's important to stress there that we're regaining it. Um, that is something that we had before Ducey became governor, and we are simply regaining it. So while he deserves um, a share of the credit for the performance of the economy, there are sound fundamentals uh, that existed prior uh, to him uh, taking office. He deserves credit in preserving some of them, such as the reduction in the corporate income tax rates uh, that were adopted under Governor Brewer, um, but were phased in under Ducey. There was a lot of political discussion about rolling those back, given what sorry state um, state fi finances were in. Uh, he resisted that, and he gets credit for that. Mm -hmm. So, yes, I do think he deserves some of the credit for the status of um, the good performance of Arizona's economy. And then when you look at, I mean, the the alternative, I mean, um, that that those same those same credits, um, you know, if you look at the liberal perspective in Arizona, those things are a, tra a travesty that we're cutting. Uh, in, income taxes and, and especially for for corporations. So you're you're seeing that attack on the left, but also, um, and I'm wondering what what motivates the the hardliners on the right. So we have this new type of conservatism, which is you know the MAGA conservatism or Trumpism. And uh, we're recording this on a Sunday. Just yesterday, Kelly Ward, um, who is in that. Uh, Mold was elected as the uh, chairperson for the for the Arizona Republican Party, and it seems like there's a lot of disappointment uh, or anger within the base of that strain of conservatism. I mean, what what where does that come from? Is that a disappointment in what what uh, establishment Republicans have done? Is it just more hardline on things like immigration? Is it a personality thing of like they want people, they want Republicans to be more blunt in standing up to the liberal mainstream instead of appeasing the cultural element of that? What What is driving that element, do you think, of the hardline, hard right people? Yeah, right I, I, and, and, and their critique is, is different than my critique. Mm -hmm. I, I, I look at conservative reform policies um, from a libertarian perspective that I think would be good for the state that Ducey at one point in time said that if elected he would push, uh, and he hasn't. Um, this is an entirely different point of view, um, and it's one that I confess I don't fully understand the fight between the establishment and the insurgents in the um, Republican Party. Uh, in reality, if if either the establishment or the insurgents had 100% of the power, uh, the kind of policies that they would adopt would not be greatly dissimilar. Um, on policy, they tend to agree. It's mostly on tactics uh, and uh, how far, how uh, hard, and how hard you fight the left uh, at the national level. Uh, particularly when Obama uh, was uh, president. 
Um, the one issue where there probably is a substantive difference is immigration. Uh, the insurgents tend to be very much immigration restrictionists. The establishment tends to be um, more uh, wanting to see comprehensive immigration reform and um, provide legal status uh, for those who are currently here illegally, particularly uh, children who were brought here um, illegally and the, by, and the hard by, by the parents. No way, no amnesty. No amnesty. So, so, so that's the one policy difference, <clears throat> but that drives it less than this personality conflict mm -hmm. and style conflict. Uh, and the intensity of that sentiment on the insurgents, I just don't understand. Uh, because there's not that great of a difference uh, in terms of policy. It's just more my tribe against your tribe. Right. I, I think, uh, I know it's weird because it, it seems like the appeal to someone like Trump is saying it how they see it, saying it how it is, or just not, not caring if something's controversial or, um, you know, but at the same time, the people that they're supporting are almost like just mimicking Trump and, and doing whatever Trump wants, which you would think that, you know, if you value saying it how it is, no matter what, you know, you wouldn't like someone who's just mimics and copies and, and does whatever Trump wants, even if it's different yesterday than today. And, but maybe and, if it's owning the libs, maybe that's, <laughs> I don't know. And, 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 and this is new and different. And again, I don't fully understand it, because it used to be among the hard right, the litmus test was issues. Uh, it was abortion and gay rights and immigration, and uh, you couldn't deviate on those things uh, and be a true conservative or a Republican in something other than name yeah. only. Uh, now it really is um, a Trump loyalty test uh, for many of these people. Now, I do believe that, that Trump is culturally significant to these people because he is the only politician uh, that uh, relishes being politically incorrect. Mm -hmm. uh, and from their standpoint, he is Trump is disliked by all the right people, and the people who look down their nose at Trump also look down their nose at the insurgent faction in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. So I understand that sort of cultural affinity uh, for Trump. Um, but uh, the extent to which it is divorced from issues, except for immigration, um, uh, is something new and something I don't fully understand. And it seems one blind, I, mean, I think there's a lot of blind spots and um, a, lot of, a lot of emotional and, and personality-driven attachment there. But one, one blind spot, I think, is the, the electoral consequences of that. I mean, yeah, Kelly Ward is now the, the chairperson, but she lost a primary to a more establishment, Martha McSally, who then lost the general to, uh, to a Democrat. So I, I don't see their, you know, their coalition gaining any more popularity or, or bringing any more electoral victory. And, and, and their view would be that McSally wasn't a sufficiently authentic conservative. That and that's Ke why that she Kelly lost. Ward would actually have beat and it, Kirsten and it, Sinema. And it, and it seems like one of the one of the reasons uh, Lyon, J, JW Lyons was, was pushed out was because of the perception that it was his fault that 
that they lost a lot of elections, but it seemed like he was himself kind of mimicking some of the Trump language. Oh, and, no question. And, and so, so I just don't, I think it's, uh, I think it's a major miscalculation. I don't know if any, maybe the next election will, will cause them to come back to reality or, or, or where that will go. Um, Richard Nixon had, I thought, the greatest insight as to how a Republican wins um, election, a formula that I've never heard anyone articulate better, which is a Republican cannot win without the right and a Republican cannot win with only the right. Mm -hmm. uh, and Ducey, I think, very much captured um, that winning philosophy. But we also shouldn't read, I think, too much into um, who controls the, the official Republican Party. Uh, the Republican Party has gone through um, this kind of takeover by the right before. In fact, going back to the 1970s after the Ford-Reagan uh, primary fight in, in 1976. And what happens is that, is that successful Republican politicians uh, just do things on their own, which could be done more effectively and efficiently through the party if the party was in compatible and competent hands. So you're just kind of saying that, going back to your point about Nick, um, needing the right, but also not just the right, the hard right, is that just a matter of, of, of a new candidates that can strike that right balance where they, where they have that support, but also can grow the support that they're not alienating? Does it, does it just depend on the candidate's personality uh, to be able to capture that, both of those elements? Yes, uh, and, 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 and you don't have to abandon a, a conservative reform agenda. And I think, again, Reagan is a superb example. He was as ideologically conservative as any politician we've had. Uh, he had a conservative reform agenda, uh, but he was able to expand his appeal and the appeal of his agenda mm -hmm. uh, beyond uh, just the narrow right. Ducey in our state um, uh, walked the Trump-type rope yeah. bril brilliantly, yeah. just absolutely brilliantly. And I think, uh, although she didn't do it in this last election, I think that Martha McSally has the capability uh, and opportunity to do the same. It obviously will be awkward um, with Kelly Ward, given but what are the what are the practical impacts of Kelly Ward in that in that role in that role? I mean, is uh, I've already I've seen some tweets about there's going to be alternative fundraising mechanisms that goes around uh, Ward. Um, practically, what what is the significance of of that? Uh, it will depend in in part upon what she does with the position. As I said, this is something that the Republican Party goes through periodically. Uh, and chances are she won't be able to raise a lot of money for the party, uh, which does mean that that money will get pooled and spent elsewhere. There are certain functions in a campaign that are more efficiently done uh, through a party apparatus uh, in a way that benefits multiple candidates, um, registered registering new voters, voter identification, voter turnout. Uh, 
I, it will remain to be seen as to whether the party is entrusted with that or whether the candidates who are on the ballot figure out a way to do that around the party. Um, as I said, the, the party, the Arizona Republican Party has gone through this periodically and you get those bypasses um, that are created. I, I, I don't think it represents a serious setback for Republican prospects in 2020. They might have to try to do some kind of political activities in a less efficient um, way, but uh, I don't think ultimately parties, which do tend to be captured by either the hard right for the Republicans or the hard left for the Democrats, I don't think the official parties matter that much. How much damage do you think the shutdown situation, which is now over for the next three weeks at least, has on Republicans' prospects? Like McSally, who voted basically just in line to what Trump might might sign three times now. Um. I don't know that that will help. I mean, in in reality, the the U.S. Senate. This was again. We've talked about my feelings about the filibuster. Right. This is another illustration. Um, a majority of senators voted to reopen the government with funding for the wall. McSally was in that group, and a majority of senators voted to reopen the government without funding for the wall. Cinema was in that group, so. The Senate wanted to reopen the wall with or without wall funding. But McSally... Uh, the filibuster stopped but, it. But a Republican like, like McSally basically voted yes for something that they voted no on the previous day, all because Trump changed his mind. I mean, is that... And then I think people get frustrated with that. Uh, is that... Does that have long-term damage or is that kind of thing where, oh, we're in the shutdown fight, no one's going to remember that in I, two years? No, I, I do believe that the shutdown creates damage to the Republican brand and damage to the Trump back brand um, that will still resonate in 2020. How strongly it resonates depends upon what happens between now and then. Um, my guess is um, Trump declares a national emergency, um, reallocates military construction funds uh, for the wall, get sued, some liberal judge somewhere doesn't enjoin, uh, uh, enjoins it, um, and it ultimately gets to the Supreme Court. So um, if, that sort, if that sort of gets put on the sidetrack, uh, which is what I anticipate will happen, I don't know how much it will resonate, depending upon how Trump behaves over the next two years. I do think that Trump was a serious detriment to Republicans in 2018, and I anticipate um, he being a serious detriment to Republicans in 2020, except that the Democrats are likely <laughs> to nominate a um, European-style social Democrat. And we're also, I think, due for another episode of how alarmed should we be about the Russia Mueller investigation? How much fire and smoke is there? Whatever, but we'll 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 save that for another time. Last question: The Phoenix Open is here next week. Will you be getting rowdy on the 16th hole? Uh, no, <laughs> I've, I've I've attended the uh, Phoenix Open many times, including 
for several years, taking you and your brothers uh, out to it. I have never been in the stands on the 16th hole. It's not my kind of scene, and my guess is they'd probably boot me out for being insufficiently <laughs> rowdy. Any predictions on the winner? Who you uh, like no, now? golf is so deep, uh, and these days, um, what's new uh, is it used to be that Tiger Woods and Jack Nicklaus could count on other people losing tournaments. These young guns uh, just fire at pins, they shoot birdies, and these days you have to win a golf tournament. It's pretty exciting. Well, thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you very much for listening.